Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This week, the march to WrestleMania continues as we tackle WrestleMania 4. It's not bigger, it's not badder, it's not better, it's just longer. I mean, it's debatable whether it was badder. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how you look at it, I guess. This this show is 16 matches long. Ooh, a WrestleMania record. You've got to go to like WCW 2000 era to find a pay-per-view that feels this interminably extended for no reason. Yeah, the amazing thing is now WrestleMania is a seven-hour show with the pre-show, and they still don't do nearly this many matches. They usually do 12 or 13 if you count the pre-show. They stuff it with a bunch of other stuff but still not this many matches. And we'll get into this match by match as we always do. But I've also, we're going to go through and watch all of the WrestleMania. So I can't say this 100% certain because there's some I haven't seen in a little while. But I feel confident that this is the most unsatisfying WrestleMania of all time. Like if I had paid money for it in that era, I would have been so absolutely pissed off for having bought this show. You just mean that in the sense that like, nobody takes a fall here. It's all DQs. Yes. Like, yeah. you really don't get Hogan Andre. It's nope. all DQs from start to finish. Yeah. At, at the time, I probably would have been really hot on seeing Hogan fight DiBiase for the belt. Savage wins instead. Turns out to be a great idea, but still. Like, it's just like, man, this is ugly. Yeah, it just seems like the height of nobody's allowed. Nobody will do a job to anybody on TV. And Roddy Piper's not even there. <laughs> um, so after WrestleMania 3, they the WWF, Vince is always searching for how can we make WrestleMania bigger next year. The problem is there wasn't a bigger stadium than the Silverdome that they could run, and they also weren't going to have a main event that could fill a stadium. I think the original idea was... You know, let's do Hogan-Andre again. We'll have Andre get a win over Hogan, which ended up kind of, sort of, bullshit happening at Survivor Series, as we'll get to. But they eventually decided there was not enough steam left in Hogan-Andre to have that main event WrestleMania again. Um, but once Ted DiBiase came in at the end of 87 as a mega hot heel, it became clear he needs to be on top at this WrestleMania. Um, just quickly, this Million Dollar Man character is so brilliant and so perfect, and I think a perfect pairing of the character and the wrestler. I don't think anybody could have played this character better than DiBiase, other than maybe Ric Flair. Maybe Vince McMahon himself, since yes. the character was Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon himself. is the real Million Dollar Man. But it's absolutely genius. I mean, from the big nets that they do to like just, just like the little stuff they do, like having him like embarrass kids in the crowd, yes. or like bounce the ball ten times and he kicks it away. Oh my god, that's, that's my other favorite thing is the having you know making sure he carried around a bunch of cash so he could you know protect the gimmick. You know, if somebody walked up to him in a bar and was like, "Why don't you buy a round for anybody in here?" He'd pull out of his wad of cash and do it, or. He'd pay for a pack of gum with a $100 bill and tell him to keep the change. They'd fly him first class. They'd drive him around in a limousine, which, of course, led everybody else in the company to hate him. 
I mean, it's it's the great. It's one of the greatest gimmicks of all time. It's also probably one of the best jobs anyone's ever had. Just be yeah. like, oh, okay, I'll just be the richest, awesomest man of all time, yeah. and they're going to let me. Everybody else in the company is driving shitty rental cars, splitting hotel rooms, eating garbage. He gets to eat in the best restaurants, gets driven around in a limo. I just, yeah, you can understand the resentment. Absolutely. But it, the reason that it works is that Ted DiBiase embodies it so unbelievably. And here, he's so liquid hot that there's a reason why the debate that surrounds this show is whether the belt should have gone on DiBiase here, as opposed, even though they did not do heel champions at all. And that's mostly just because DiBiase was unbelievably awesome at this point. Yeah. He is the only guy I think they would they ever considered in this era for a real run as a heel champion. You know, there will be, you know, Savage is a heel briefly the year after this. There's slaughter, you know, they do it a couple times where somebody gets the title to set a heel will get the title to set up WrestleMania, but nobody ever gets a run with it in this era. It's always a babyface champion well into the 90s. Absolutely. Um, so brewing in the background is that the war with Jim Crockett promotions is really starting to get hot. Um, when Crockett decides to take Starcade to pay-per-view for Thanksgiving 1987, Vince decided to play some hardball. He schedules the Survivor Series pay-per-view for the same day. And, you know, at first, the you know Crockett responds by saying, we'll do Starcade in the afternoon. They won't be head-to-head. The cable companies are thinking, okay, we're going to get two-for-one. And some start even you know, offering deals where you get a reduced price on one if you buy them both. Vince is not cool with this at all. He is, you know, not only is he not going to help survivors, help Starcade, he wants to kill it. Um, so he injects a lethal dose of poison by telling the cable companies that if they show Starcade, not only can they not have Survivor Series, but they also can't have WrestleMania the next year. Which, remember, at this time, pay-per-view basically is WrestleMania in some boxing. Like, a lot of these companies exist because of WrestleMania. Yeah, so there's no question. Um, the only pay-per-view companies that end up showing Starcade are the ones in the Carolinas, a few others in the South, and for some reason, one out in San Jose, presumably just to make sure Dave Meltzer could see it. <laughs> he just a random, random bit of trivia. Yeah, Meltzer must have bribed them. Oh, yeah, he must have been calling every hour of the day. <laughs> um, so Survivor Series ends up doing strong business, over 300,000 buys. Starcade only does like 20,000. This is after Jim Crockett has signed all of his top stars to guaranteed contracts because their idea is we're not going to, we're going to do four pay-per-views a year. So we'll sell more pay-per-views than McMahon there. They'll do bigger business from WrestleMania than any of our individual shows, but our four shows combined will be more money, but that doesn't end up happening. And the company ends up going bankrupt by the end of 88. Yeah. And th- there were a whole other list of reasons why they went bankrupt. In addition to that, from attempting national expansion when they weren't ready to screwing things up and to all sorts of crap. But it, for what it was supposed to be a great national wrestling war and really the first one ever, it really kind of died with a whimper. Yeah. In January, they're going to run another pay-per-view, the bunkhouse stampede. Vince 
once again decides to counter-program, this time not with a pay-per-view, because I think the pay-per-view companies had kind of warned him, don't try that shit again, or it'll be trouble for you. I'm stunned this wasn't investigated by the FCC, because this is kind of obvious antitrust, um, anti-competitive action. Oh, absolutely. Um, just I think it's just one of those, and eh, it's just wrestling, who cares, situations. Right. And let's talk. Let's talk about the bunkhouse stampede. Oh my god! Which was an absolute god goddamn show. disaster. Like, please understand that the original concept of the bunkhouse stampede is that they would run house shows with this bunkhouse stampede match, which is basically a street fight battle royal. It's a pretty cool idea, yeah. and everybody who would win one of the house show matches leading up to the big show would be entered into the big match. Which was a pretty cool idea. I thought it's a drive house show business. Like, hey, we can go see who's going to be in the big match before it happens. Then they would have a big one, and the winner would win a bronze boot. <sighs> Such a dusty idea. And this one, though, to spice it up, to make it absolutely incredible, to go against WWE and put their name on it, they did a steel cage battle royal. Yes. Well, in order to throw someone out of the cage. This is like a TNA level idea. It really is. How did they never how did Russo never do this? I mean, it's so unbelievably stupid that God, I, I can't believe they never actually tried it again. The other thing, too, is they did four bunkhouse stampede matches, and Dusty Rhodes won every single fucking one of them. Of course he did, because Dusty was still the baddest man of them all in 1988. And like literally words cannot express how little people gave a shit about this show because they had already seen three years in a row this exact same thing happen. Dusty wins, Dusty wins, Dusty wins, Dusty and, wins. And they ran this in New York City. And they advertised the wrong yes. start time. Please understand yes. that like the Royal Rumble is up against this show, but they advertise it's going to start an hour later than it actually is. So they lose out on that many buys. Yeah, and it's only like a two-hour show, so by the time people get on or get there, they're already halfway through the show. Just a total disaster. Meanwhile, WWE does the Royal Rumble, 8.0 cable rating. Yeah, massive success. I mean, the Royal Rumble has, of course, become an iconic match. You know, the early ones are not so special. They hadn't quite figured it out, but it's still a new and different attraction that no one has ever seen before. And it's free, so you can either watch a cool new attraction for free, or you can watch Dusty win the Bunkhouse Stampede again and have to pay 20 bucks for that. And haul your ass down to the cable station, get the pay-per-view box, drop a $100 deposit, get it hooked up, all that. You can understand why people were saying, let's just watch the Rumble instead. Absolutely. And it's, it is also kind of poetic justice that the Bunkhouse Stampede and the Royal Rumble are technically similar kinds of matches, and yeah. yet Vince just did it better with in a bigger way, and it was the death blow of this war, like before the war even really seemed to get started. Yeah, and it's also around this time that Vince and NBC agreed to run a primetime special on NBC. They'd been doing the Saturday night's main events for a few years, but... Saturday night's main event would run in SNL slot, so 11.30 on a Saturday night. This would be on a Friday night. It would be live, and it would be in prime time. Um, I don't know the exact start time. I don't know if it was 8 or 9, but you know, prime time on a Friday night. Um, 
about as good as you're going to get for a time slot for wrestling. Absolutely. They've never even come close since. Yeah. So this is the main event, not Saturday night's main event. Um, they decide let's do our biggest match. Let's run Hogan Andre, see how big the business could get. And they decided this is the time for Hogan to drop the title, which after four years as champion, he's going to go away after WrestleMania to film the classic no holds barred <laughs> the classic so they've decided you know we can't have our champion off the road for a couple months ironic given the situation we've found ourselves in in recent years with brock lesnar the rock daniel bryan all sorts of guys carrying that title and not defending it for one reason or another but back then no way are we going to run a couple months of house shows with no world champion so Hogan's got to drop the belt and they've got to figure out how to get it off him. And what they wind up coming up for in order to do it is probably the greatest angle in WWE history. Yes. Um, it leaks that Hogan is dropping the title. This is reported in some newspapers in advance because they've already put out the marketing materials for WrestleMania and they're based around Hogan trying to regain the title now, I'm kind of surprised they were willing to kind of you know break kayfabe like that, but really it's just good promotion for the show. It's even more people being like, oh my God, Hogan's going to lose. I've got to see what happens. And man, this is a really big show and they wind up doing it. It's actually a pretty good show from start to finish if you've never seen it. I definitely recommend it. This is one of the few shows from that era that I've actually seen like a million times. I had it on VHS tape back in the day. Like it's, I really recommend it. It's fantastic from start yeah. to finish. I mean, I've, as I've said, I think the Saturday night's main events are kind of the best shows of this era. And I think that particular, the main event show was the very best with um, Honky Tonk Man against Randy Savage and with Hogan against Andre in a very quick abbreviated tag team match between uh, the Hearts and Strike Force that they literally had about 30 seconds to do. And I don't know if you've ever sat down and tried to figure out how you could have a 30 second match. You can't do much. Sunset you flip, get the hell out of there. <laughs> um, so the main event ends up being a massive success this famous angle Andre defeats Hogan in a screw job evil twin referee Earl Hebner counts down Hogan after an Andre slam it's an elaborate scheme by DiBiase to finally get the title from Hogan he tried to buy it from Hogan and what did Hogan say hell no God, that's one of the great Hogan moments. <laughs> it's just like him accepting on. This should have been an annual tradition that this is how they set up WrestleMania. It's just a Hogan primal scream. Hogan, at this point, we He's give so perfect. We give a lot of credit to the Ultimate Warrior for delivering some of the most batshit promos of all time, but we really don't give Hulk Hogan enough props. He belongs in the Hall of Fame of batshit promos just for this whole period of his career. I mean, we kind of we went over his promo last. Or was it that was was it WrestleMania two where we was talking about how no, it was three was you know the dudes at the gym told me it was going to be my last ride. I was rolling out through the mountains, brother. 
rolling through the intersection. They, they they say if the pollution don't get you, then the politicians will. It's like he's clearly cut so many promos that he's just out of shit to say, and he's just telling stories. Yeah. Um. So Andre wins the title. He takes the mic in the ring, surrenders it to DiBiase, calls it the World Tag Team Championship twice. I, he can't get his one fucking line right. Oh, twice he does it. Like, he even knows it's wrong, and then it's just like, eh, whatever. First live promo he'd ever cut. Oh, my God. So DiBiase is the champion for a week. Um I don't think by this point, I think they've decided he's not actually going to keep the title, but just to keep kayfabe, he carries the belt around for a week at some house shows, even defends it at one house show against Bam Bam Bigelow. But then on Superstars the next week, Jack Tunney announces DiBiase will be stripped. Titles have to be won and lost in the ring. Andre surrendered the title. So it's being held up and they will hold a 14-man tournament at WrestleMania 4 to determine a new champion. Now, let's be clear. If they had just done a four-man tournament, this probably is a cool idea that works. But 14, where the hell does that even come from? Yeah, um, so 16, but Hogan and Andre get buys. And then they just compound it with so many draws in the tournament and buys. I can only imagine a kid trying to keep track of who was going against who on this show. It's a nightmare. And like, they just make it worse as the show goes on. Like, there's so many, they have a buys baked into the tournament. Then there are double disqualifications twice. Then, like, there are so many random buys and shit that I completely lost track as I was watching the show as to who was where. Yeah. Um, the, the main event is a huge success. It draws a 15.2 rating, peaking with 33 million viewers for the Hogan Andre match. Crazy. Just untouchably massive. Um, I don't know if that's the largest audience to ever watch a pro wrestling match. You might have a Riki Dozon match from Japan, but I don't know if enough people had TV in Japan at that point to reach that number, but a record for American pro wrestling, 33 million viewers, just crazy stuff. It's completely unreal. And like, it's not a surprise. Like Hogan versus Andre the first time was an event Knowing that Andre's going to beat Hogan the second time, I mean, there's so much curiosity baked in. But then you get to this show where, I mean, you had to imagine after that that like WrestleMania was going to do absolutely enormous numbers. Yeah. And in the February 15th edition of the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer predicted a $25 million gross for WrestleMania based on the success of the main event. It ends up being more like half that. And I, I think the culprit, there's kind of two big ones. One is the Clash of the Champions, but I think the bigger one is just people are not into tournaments and wrestling. People don't want to pay their money when they don't know what they're going to get. And in this case, they're right to because they end up getting a bullshit five-minute Hogan-Andre match and Hogan being out of the tournament. 
Man, we've talked before, like especially with WrestleMania 2, about how pissed you would be if you paid money to go to this, if you paid money to see this, whatever. If you paid your money to see Hogan-Andre, the rubber match, and you got that, I would have walked out. Yeah, I mean, it just... But they had to get them out of the tournament. You don't want to beat either guy. I, I guess I get it, but I just... Yeah, not a satisfying ending at all. And this is the final big Hogan-Andre singles match. They'll have a steel cage match this summer in Milwaukee on a, um, like it would, I think they called it WrestleFest. It was at like the Milwaukee County Stadium where the Brewers play. It was a big outdoor show before uh, SummerSlam. But Hogan and Andre do not ever have a kind of definitive televised blow-off match. Man. And again, we, we talked about this with other matches from this era too. It was hard to have blow-off matches in this era because you had to get the timing right. There weren't that many opportunities to have these enormous matches. And sometimes with the momentum and the storylines you have going, it just doesn't line up for that. And plus, you always want to leave it open for the house shows. It's just it, it's so frustrating to look back at this time because obviously all we have is these big events. We don't have the house shows to watch or look forward to. And they're all just so frustratingly not complete. We never get the book closed on any Hulk Hogan feud, it feels like. Yeah, it's just a different era. The business is all the house shows, and at some point the house show feuds will just sort of peter out, and then you'll shoot a new angle on TV to set up a new house show run. So if we both agree the tournament was a bad idea, I think the question is what could they have done instead? What should they've done it instead i think the principles you have to approach this from are hogan needs to lose the title you're not keeping hogan as champion so somebody else is going to have to get the belt here for at least a few months and i don't really see any options other than savage and dibiase to be the champion andre is over enough to carry the title but he's such a wreck physically that i don't think you can have him as the champion because it seems like his back could just give out at any time here. I mean, I think that a singles match is what should have main evented this WrestleMania. Either way, either you could have gone Hogan DiBiase and just somehow had DiBiase retain. Yeah, DB, uh, you could have done. I mean, like we just railed against disqualifications, but I think in this era, you could have gotten away with a DQ in the main event of WrestleMania. It's it's a different time. Yeah, and then you could come back at like the new SummerSlam or whatever, with a cage and the match rematch. or something. Yeah. yeah, where Andre can't get in. Like that's you could definitely do that, and it, I definitely think that would have been the biggest money draw you could have possibly put on this show is Hogan versus DiBiase. That's where the heat was with Andre and DiBiase's corner. That's the heat. Yeah, and. I, my understanding, and Ted DiBiase states this as 100% fact, the original vision was for DiBiase to walk out as champion, whether it was keeping the belt after the Andre situation or winning the tournament, Vince told him, you're getting the title. And then that changed, and why and when it changed is sort of a mystery. I think the easiest answer is just, Vince got cold feet about having a heel champion. He had not done it before. Um, ironically, the only long-term heel champion there had been in the WWF before this 
was superstar Billy Graham, and he did absolutely massive business, but they still never went back to it for years and years. Um, the WWF was just always the babyface territory. So I think Vince just got nervous about the idea of having a heel champion on top. And here, here's the conflicting alternate universe thing. You couldn't do DiBiase as champion any other time but here. This is the time. If you're going to do it, it has to be here. He has to be the champion with Andre behind him. That's it. Alternately, we know the future because we have the benefit of hindsight. And we know that the Mega Powers Explode is going to happen. And it's maybe the biggest storyline of all time. Yeah. That's obviously the right way to go. But in this moment at this time, when you don't know what that's going to happen, it must have been so difficult to make this decision. Yeah, I think I would have been saying, let's go with DiBiase. You know, Savage is great, but we can get him the belt later. It's going to be hard for any babyface to be the champion after Hogan. Let's have a heel champion and, you know, maybe Hogan can get the belt back at SummerSlam or we can drag the chase out for a year and Hogan doesn't get a shot until next WrestleMania and think of all the heat we'll have by then. But I think when they come up with the idea of what if we do a Hogan, Savage, Elizabeth love triangle, I feel like they just see the dollar signs there as soon as that's proposed. And they're right. They made the right decision. But there's always going to be that shred of doubt in the mind of every single person who looks at this show, looks at this time, and says, what if DiBiase holds the title? Like... The only problem is, is that there aren't a lot of baby faces in this company for him to work with because this is just savage. The company is completely built around Hulk Hogan versus everybody on the roster, right? There's really steamboat, but he's on his way out. He's buried under the doghouse and dug in. And then what beefcake uh, Roberts Jake. Yeah. But yeah, none of these are super appealing. Whereas you can instead just slot Savage into the Hogan role and you've got one-man gang, Butch Reed, you know, um, a million other huge dudes. And it's so much easier to build monster heel challengers. You know, it's something they've been doing for years at this point. You've got DiBiase as a challenger. You've got Andre. You know, he's not going to run out of challengers in a year. But if you look like a year or two down the line and you consider DiBiase still being on top or near the top, then you're looking at like DiBiase versus the Ultimate Warrior versus like an on-fire Jake versus there's stuff there. And it's it, it that's what makes this such a compelling what if is that it would have been equally effective to have DiBiase win the title here as what they did. We'll just never know. Yeah, I think business would have been good with DiBiase as champion. I just I think he would have he would have had such great matches. He would have been vulnerable. He would have had a ton of heat. I think it would have I think it would have worked. Absolutely. But like we said, can't blame him for what they did. But because of that, really the main event of the show should have just been Savage DiBiase. I don't know how they get there. Maybe Savage already has yeah. a title Savage match. wins a battle royal on the undercard of the main event or he's just otherwise been announced as the number one contender. But yeah, you you have that match in place so that he has to get his shot. And then I guess Hogan and Andre can just be on the undercard. Yeah. 
It's just you have to have a reason for Hogan to be in Savage's corner, for Savage to be fighting on behalf of Hogan against the evil DiBiase. Savage wins. Great moment. Fantastic. You don't need the tournament. No. So the tournament, the other oddity of the tournament is they originally announced a different bracket, and I'm, after exhaustive research, managed to track this down online. It's the same matches, but they're in a different order to kind of set up some different finals. Um, so, I mean, without, I don't think it's going to be interesting to hear me read these pairings off, but the, the finals it would set up would be DiBiase versus Hogan, Andre versus Savage, or I guess DiBiase versus Jake, and DiBiase would win there. But n- none of those are super appealing. I mean, I guess... Hogan's not going to drop an actual fall to DiBiase. If DiBiase was going to walk out as champion, it was going to have to be he keeps the title after being disqualified. Do you think there's any way that Andre does a job for Savage? Um, I mean, if you ask him to, he might, but Andre never did a televised, he never had a real televised, you know, a pinfall loss after Hogan. All his losses that made it on TV were countouts or disqualifications. Now, on the house shows, he would lose to the Ultimate Warrior in, you know, 30 seconds or whatever. But yeah, I mean, you probably, I, he'd probably have done it. I mean, I don't know his personal feelings towards Savage, but I feel like Savage was pretty universally respected. Agreed. Yeah, Savage over Andre, I think, would have been a very solid final. But, again, the, the show was built around DiBiase. Right. Um, so the, I think the reshuffle made sense to set up DiBiase and Savage as the final. I think that was the right final. I think it was the right final, too. I cannot, I cannot fully express my displeasure for how they got there, but that is the right final. Yeah. The other oddity going in here is the kind of, I think, famous now story of Honky Tonk Man refusing to to do a job to Randy Savage. Now, I've tried to figure out where this fits in the timeline, and I've never quite been able to figure out. It seems like when he's telling the story, he's talking about being asked to lose to Savage on the main event in February, but he also wrestled Savage in October 87. Now, I totally believe Honky Tonk Man refused to do a job on TV to anybody, including Randy Savage, because Honky Tonk Man doesn't do no televised jobs. If you know anything about the Honky Tonk Man, you know that. And how, did, Honky, how did no one do jobs? How? It's a different world. Well, and there's not, they're not really asked to very often. There aren't a lot of big televised matches and most guys are fine with getting beat on pay-per-view. It's on TV in front of big audiences. The feeling is if you get beat on TV, you're shit, you're worthless. And this idea continues into the nineties where allegedly Ole Anderson told Ric Flair when he came back to WCW after being in the WWF that he was worthless because he had gotten beat by Mr. Perfect on raw. Jeez. Yeah, just nonsense. But, you know, that was the feeling. And it's a different era. And I can understand saying, I don't want to drop the title in front of the largest TV audience ever. Um, The other thing is he, in Honky Tonk Man's telling, it's just sort of, when they're going over what they want to happen, it's just like, Savage hits the elbow, Savage gets the pin, 
and then honky, you're, you're just out of the picture. You know, you get out of the ring. We're, we're not going to do anything with you here. We'll, don't worry, we'll take care of you. But he's not satisfied with that answer. So he allegedly threatens to take the belt to Crockett um, and is able to talk his way out of losing the title and proceeds to hold it for many more months until doing a humiliating epic job to the Ultimate Warrior at the first SummerSlam. The ultimate job. Yeah. Um, boy, did he lose that one in style. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't doubt that Honky's telling the truth here. I just, I don't understand. Were they really talking about Savage winning, still thinking about Savage winning the Intercontinental title in February 88? Like, at that point, were they still thinking DiBiase is going to get the belt? And when did that change? Gosh, that is an amazing question. <laughs> Because, I mean, this came up on something to wrestle with recently, and Bruce Pritchard said he you know, never heard anything about Savage getting the Intercontinental title around this time, which you know maybe he just wasn't really in the loop at that point. It doesn't seem like he was involved, all that involved in creative around that time based on kind of the stories he tells. But it seems like word would have gotten around at that point. But... Okay, let's say that this is true. Let's say that Honky refuses to do a job, so they throw their hands up in the air and say, well, I guess we got to make him world champion then. That like, seems crazy. How do you get there? Like, had they already just been discussing, like, all right, well, we have some options, and then they were like, oh, I guess, well, Savage is an option now, and then they just fall in love with the idea? How, how do we get there? Yeah, it might be they wanted to put the Intercontinental title on Savage, so that he wouldn't have to lose it. He wouldn't be in the tournament and he wouldn't have to lose in the tournament. But I still just, it's just, it's too weird that they just, it's such a, it's like, it's so strange to be like, well, since honky wouldn't lose the intercontinental title to him, we'll make him the world champion instead. <laughs> the logic just doesn't seem to line up. It really doesn't. Also, this feels like the exact equivalent of if The Miz had refused to lose to Roman Reigns. And they were just like, well, I guess you're beating Lesnar. Yeah, I just, the, the wrestling world has changed a lot since then. Right. Um, so the location for the show is Atlantic City. Have you ever been to Atlantic City? Uh, I... I have not been to Atlantic City. I, I can't say that I have... Been Don't excited. Go. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah, I've never been excited to enter New Jersey in any way in my life. I don't even have a problem with New Jersey, but Atlantic City is a dump. And it may have been worse, but I don't know. It, I feel like Atlantic City got better and then has gotten worse again now, now that the casinos are going bankrupt. At this point, this is kind of early in the kind of sort of Atlantic City renaissance. Um Longtime friend of WWE and president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Good Lord. I imagine, think of how different, if we had done this podcast four years ago, think of how different this discussion is. Yeah, we'd just be like, oh, that's that fucking Trump guy. What a weirdo. It would not be, oh, no. look at the enemy of the free world, Donald Trump. The president of the United States of America sitting oh in the front God. row for this WrestleMania. And he looks bored as shit. He does not give a fuck about professional wrestling at all. I he saw sees him me. react to like three things. He laughed 
in the Heenan match, like at the he at the Heenan spot where he gets slammed. He clapped when Savage won the title, and I think he clapped for Hogan. Which I, I assume that was because those are the only people he knew. In in a four hour show, these were the only things that drew any reaction from him. I, I would give bet that they made him actually be there. Like he I think that really the only reason that he agreed to do this was for all of the people that it would draw to Atlantic City and how yeah. he could get them all into the casino. The actual show itself, that's like any time like a promoter is at a boxing match. They're not there for the fight. They don't give a fuck. They already did their job. It's over. Yeah, tr- Trump's idea is we're going to make Atlantic City a family-friendly destination. We want to show people there's going to be stuff. You know, dad can go hit the tables. Mom and the kids will have stuff to do. This is the biggest event they can get. You know, I don't know what else they would have considered. Maybe the NBA All-Star Game can't play the Super Bowl because there's no stadium there. Maybe the Final Four, but WrestleMania is what they could get. Works out great for WWE. They do a monster gate here because the casinos buy most of the tickets to give away as comps, to give them to high rollers, to try to induce them to come to Atlantic City and gamble and lose money. So they do $1.4 million at the gate, nearly as big as the gate the previous year at the Silverdome. This is with 18,000 people in attendance instead of 80,000 people. So the tickets are just jacked sky high, and they're bought and paid for by the casinos. Man. It's a great deal. Plus, you don't have to do any, you know, you slashes your marketing budget because you just don't have to worry about selling the tickets. I've heard the other thing they were looking at was a Las Vegas show, like they would end up doing at WrestleMania 9, and it would have been... You know, the same deal. The casino writes them a big check and takes care of the tickets. I mean, the downside is, one, this venue is terrible. It's just terrible. Darkest, dankest, shittiest arena with, like, Christmas lights hanging from things to try to brighten it up. The crowd is completely dead, both this year and next year. It's, you know, a bunch of people who only kind of care about the show. They, they just came to Atlantic City to gamble. And that's always been kind of the problem with these destination shows. And that's kind of why these, like these days, they always make people like make the cities bid and like they pack so many people in there so that it doesn't really fucking matter. But then you draw people from all over the world. So you always get a hot crowd no matter what. They, people who actually are invested in coming. You never bring WrestleMania to people and expect them to give a shit. And this is a great example of that. Nobody cares. And there's only one cool thing about this venue, and that's that in order to make their entrances, they all got to like walk down like four flights of stairs. Yeah. Which is pretty great, actually. Um, mustard yellow carpet that looks like it's in your grandparents' basement. Ugh. Just how could they not have something, a hardwood floor, anything that looked better than that? Like this is this is the peak of eighties ostentatious garbage. It looks so cheap. It's yes. appropriate that it's Donald Trump running the show because it's supposed to be classy, but it looks cheap. Yeah. And it's just so funny that that's, that was his reputation then. That probably would have been all that you really knew of Donald Trump until recently. 
He became the president of the United States and the most powerful man in the world. I can't say those words out loud. Let's move on. (laughs) So this is also the first kind of fan convention. Trump wanted lots of events throughout the week to make it, you know, a come for the week type of thing. So they did the first bacon bagels and biceps brunch. That is the worst named event I've ever heard. <laughs> it sticks around forever because you remember they were still talking about that at WrestleMania Nine. Yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't know why that's the fucking name. Best they could come up with. Ugh. A five k run, a luncheon, a dinner on Saturday night, and the brunch was Sunday morning before the show. Um, so just you know, the first time they're doing what will later become the fan access convention. Uh, It's definitely a lot better now though. It it, it is. It's funny that we are watching the concept of WrestleMania evolve through these shows and sort of Vince just keeps stumbling on ideas that would wind up sticking around 30 years after this. And yeah, yeah, WrestleMania is very much a show that you can literally watch get constructed as a concept right in front of your eyes. Yeah, and I would say this is, they kind of stick with this formula for the next several years where it's like, we're going to have a big main event and then we're just going to have as many matches as we possibly can on the undercard. Um, 16 is the record, but you know the next few WrestleManias all have, I think, at least 14 or 15 matches. Oh, boy. It's not until like eight they scale it back and kind of just start doing longer, better matches instead. Well, I don't think that even I really don't think that matches or match quality was really a thing that they valued until no. the early 90s, really. No. They they just it's clearly just the attraction is that there will be lots of matches. You know, there will be 15, 16 big matches. You can and you can again, it's it's a thing that appeals to a kid. It's as a kid, can't you imagine yourself being like, "Wow, 16 matches on the show. That sounds like it's going to be the best show ever." Yeah, because you don't consider what goes, what must go into that and the yeah. time restrictions and stuff. You're just like, holy shit, yeah, let's go. Yeah, you're not thinking about time constraints, that these are going to be terrible three-minute matches. Um, so the, the other big business change is this is the first WrestleMania that is primarily marketed as a pay-per-view. Um, WrestleMania three did a lot of pay-per-view buys, but that was a split pay-per-view and closed circuit show. There's still closed circuit for this, but it's a lot less. It's oh, they only do about 150,000 people on closed circuit, and they're continu- I think WrestleMania seven is the first one where there's no closed circuit at all. But at this point, they're all in on pay per view. As well, they should be with the astronomical success they're still having. Yes, but I think that's a big explanation for this show not hitting the numbers it was supposed to. Is the public's just not ready for pay-per-view on a mass scale quite yet. I think a lot of people are still kind of like, do I really want to go get this box and have to put this deposit down and have to connect it and risk paying the late fee and all of that? And the other thing was that Jim Crockett finally decided to get even, and they ran the first Clash of the Champions TV special on TBS head-to-head against this. That is, of course, main evented by the epic Sting versus Ric Flair 45-minute draw for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. That draws a 5.6 rating on TBS, 
a lot of people decided let's just watch the clash for free instead of buying wrestlemania can't blame them for making that decision that is a massively better show than this is yes far far better um so getting into the show it's march 27th 1988 a sunday we're at the atlantic city convention hall in atlantic city new jersey uh, 18,165 in attendance uh, buy rate is 6.5 about 400,000 buys um a big disappointment but i think expectations were probably just too high oh yeah absolutely like there's especially after the previous year like no matter how much you drop expectations there's no way that they really expected to come down that far but realistically they had peaked like even though the mega powers exploding will be huge ultimate warrior will be huge the company has peaked and they gotta come down yeah i mean i just i think just it's a mix of technology it's a mix of a tournament not really having a big match um, the class of the champions, all of this combines to make this show still a financial success, but a disappointment. What do you mean they don't have a big match? Don Morocco wrestles Dino Bravo on this show. A main event anywhere and yeah, main event nowhere. <laughs> um, on commentary, of course, Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon. Oh my God. Like this. This is getting so into good. the peak. They're great here. I just love, they keep making references to when they previously wrestled, and that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Bob Euchre is out there for a little Euchre's while. Euchre's great. Euchre's one of the best celebrities they ever had. He's the star of the show. He's the funniest person there. Yeah. Um, so Mean Gene kicks us off. He introduces Gladys Knight, who performs America the Beautiful. Once again, very high-quality musical guest. Absolutely. And if you recently watched the NBA All-Star Game and <laughs> saw Fergie's attempt at doing one of the national anthems, let me just say that you'll more appreciate Gladys Knight doing it. Fergie's so woke, her voice took a knee. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> so we open up with a 20-man battle royal because there aren't enough people or enough matches on this show. We've got to do stuff other than the tournament too the degree to which the announcers don't give a rat's ass about this match <laughs> is great <laughs> what is there to care about in this match but the best part is jesse's the one who's trying to call it and gorilla just like yeah yeah whatever uh, gorilla's still thinking about the money he lost at the tables the night before yep he sure is and like literally there's no point to this match until you get down to the final three people yeah, so participating, we've got Bad News Brown, Boris Zukov, Bret Hart, Brian Blair, Danny Davis, George Steele, Harley Race, Hillbilly Jim, Jacques Rougeau, Jim Brunzel, Jim Neidhart, Jim Powers, Junkyard Dog in his final WrestleMania appearance, Ken Patera um, also in his final WrestleMania appearance, Nikolai Volkov, Paul Roma, Raymond Rougeau, Ron Bass, Sam Houston, and Sika. Now, th this battle royal isn't for any. Oh, no, it's for a it's trophy. For a trophy. It's for it's a gigantic trophy. trophy. 
Yeah, this trophy is taller than Andre the Giant. This trophy is like eight feet tall. It's pretty incredible, actually. And like, I was like, man, I might actually want to win that trophy. And then, of course, you know, no trophy is allowed to actually survive in the wrestling world, which is a shame. I felt bad. It was a nice trophy. Had they done an angle where anybody smashed the Andre trophy yet? I don't think so. Though I don't know where Mojo rallies went. Exactly. We never saw it again. Um, uh, this comes down to Bret Hart, JYD, and Bad News Brown. Bret and Bad News team up on JYD and dump him, and then they celebrate. Uh, Jesse speculates that they've decided to split the purse together, but Bad News turns on Bret, hits him with the ghetto blaster, and throws him out to win. Um, afterward, Bret smashes the massive trophy. And this is actually the start of the heart's face turn. It would happen gradually over the course of the next couple months. Which is kind of funny because here in this match, Bret Hart just could kind of looked like a whiny piss baby for not winning. Like, dude, like you, you're a heel. You got double crossed. It's, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Relax. This moment's pretty well remembered, I feel, just because it's the beginning of Bret's face turn. But I think this is like one of the, after probably the main event, the thing people remember most from this show. Really? I guess that makes sense since it's, it's up there. There's not a lot of other memorable stuff here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, Robin Leach from the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous comes out to read a proclamation. You know, whereas the World Heavyweight Championship has been declared vacant, whereas it has been determined it shall be decided at WrestleMania 4, whereas this is an enormous waste of time on a show that's already running too long. Yeah. And they do a lot of this kind of stuff on this show that has no purpose. You know, I was trying to think of like how they would handle a situation like this these days. And I think much more likely they just would have made like the opening video be this. Like have like Robin yeah. Leach or somebody like that, like come on like reading it over highlights and stuff like that. That would be cool. This is not cool. Not even a little bit. And then we get our first tournament match, Ted DiBiase versus Jim Duggan. Um, Stablemates in Mid-South's Rat Pack going at it here. Um, DiBiase is backed up by Andre and Virgil. Um, Duggan hits an atomic drop. It sends DiBiase over the top rope to the floor. Uh, basically, the story is DiBiase is a great technician, and he out-wrestles Duggan, but Duggan is the better brawler. Duggan tries a sunset flip and it's awful, but he sort of gets over. He hits a vertical suplex, but DiBiase pops up, comes off the second rope with the axe handle. Duggan catches him with a shot to the stomach. Press slam from Duggan, but he gets tripped by Andre. DiBiase hits him with a fist drop and wins in five minutes. Um, nothing much to that one. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. I mean, top, especially... Top third ma of the matches on the show, though. Yeah, and these guys work really well together. You can really see that, like, Mid-South style coming out when they do it. There wasn't a lot of that in WWE at this time. No, I think Duggan would have made a strong challenger for DiBiase if DiBiase had gotten a run with the title. Those would have been good house show matches. Yeah, unfortunately, they would have definitely made DiBiase, like, an anti-United States millionaire <laughs> just so they could do that. Mean Gene interviews Brutus Beefcake, who will challenge the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental Championship tonight. Gene literally compliments Beefcake on his package. 
This is also an incredibly weird promo <laughs> where Beefcake basically says that he's going to murder Honky Tonk Man. And then it's just like, ha haircut, I mean. And it's like, um, oh, okay. You, you look insane. Like a very <laughs> insane person. Yeah, Vince could have sent Beefcake in to shoot on Honky with those shears. And that's the other thing. Why why on earth were they allowed to have gimmicks that were actually dangerous? Like, even if those are dull, that's still dangerous. I'm shocked nobody ever accidentally got stabbed. I mean, do you remember, like, in last year's where, like, Adrian Adonis takes a bump with the shears, like, yep. off the ropes? That's so dangerous! Uh, next tournament match, we've got Dino Bravo versus Don Morocco. Um, Morocco is being managed by superstar Billy Graham. They're both faces. It's kind of a weird deal, but they were just looking for something to do with Billy Graham. He came in for a comeback, but it turned out he just wasn't in the shape to wrestle. His hips were giving him problems. The years of steroid abuse were taking their toll. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It must be said, Don Morocco is very far past his prime at this point, which is kind of a shame because he looks like a million dollars. Like, he looks like the kind of guy you really could have made some money with. And he did make a lot of money in the territory days. But I think he'll mostly be remembered for his role in, like, kind of the early mid-80s with, like, Snuka. Yeah, it's another guy whose big run came before um, the national expansion and the opportunity to really make the big money because if he'd been a little younger, I think he would have had a bigger run with Hogan. Absolutely. Also worth mentioning that he was nicknamed The Rock at the time, which would be shamelessly ripped off by someone else. Yeah. Um, Bravo pulls the referee into the way when Morocco is going for a forearm. He then hits the side slam and appears to have the match won, but the referee disqualifies him and Morocco advances. Our first disqualification of the night. First of many to come. Yeah, just kind of try to keep track at home. Like there's there are so many matches that are going to take place here. But just think about you watching at home. Like obviously these days when everyone's on Twitter watching WrestleMania live, if there's even one finish to a match that isn't quite great, yeah. we bury it and rip it to shreds and destroy it. Imagine watching this show and disqualification number one, and let's continue on. Uh, Bob Euchre interviews the Honky Tonk Man and Jimmy Hart backstage. Next tournament match, Greg Valentine versus Ricky Steamboat. One year ago, Ricky Steamboat had one of his greatest triumphs, one of the great matches in WWF history, won the Intercontinental title. Since then... He made the mistake of having a family and caring about them. And you don't do that on Vince McMahon's watch. It's so sad what happened there because he was, he really seemed like he was going to be a really big deal for them. I think he would have run with that belt for a long, long time. Like we've talked about it. He's sort of the perfect number two after Hogan, right? Absolutely. Like, you can put him on all the B-House shows. You're going to have an amazing match. People are going to love him. He's the purest babyface who ever lived. That's all you need. He's a guaranteed great match on the show. Yeah. His wife and he had their son. He asked Vince if he could have some time off to spend with his newborn son. Vince said, 
He didn't actually say this, but what he was thinking was, I'm paying you so much money, why don't you hire a goddamn nanny? Which are very similar to the words which caused Vince Russo to eventually <laughs> leave also. Yeah, Vince didn't change after all those years. Never did soften up. But yeah, I mean, he's like, yeah, you can have time off, but you're dropping the title. Like, I, to me, a lot of it is, it's not just like we're not going to let our Intercontinental Champion come off the road. It's offense at the idea that we put this title on you and now you want time off to spend with your kid. I mean, here's the thing. Vince McMahon has always been the kind of guy who expects you to do what Vince McMahon would do. Yeah. And Vince McMahon raised Vince his kids time with his kids by making them work for him. Yes, that was how they got to spend time with dad by coming to the office and working like I mean, him. It's, it is what it is, man. It, it's also it's so sad because you see him come out with uh, <laughs> the, the kid, kid who caused all these problems. Richie. Yeah. Which is really great. But also, Richie Steamboat was going to be a really huge deal in the wrestling industry. There was a time where he was the pride of the entire developmental. Like, they were going to make yeah, him... What ended up happening with him? He got a really horrible injury, and he couldn't yeah. come back from it. And, yeah. like, it's such a shame, because literally everybody who was doing jobs to Richie Steamboat in developmental became a gigantic star. And this was right when NXT was going to hit. And yeah. like, no, he, I've... I've... Now that I think about it, I've seen some of his matches. He had good matches with like Seth Rollins, Cesaro, yeah. all those guys who were around back then. They were you know, going to put the still Jeff. Florida Championship Wrestling at that point. Yeah, they were literally going to put the Rockets to him. He was going to be the developmental guy, and it never happened. And it's such a disappointment because, man, how cool would that have been? Yeah, so Steamboat lost the Intercontinental title to the Honky Tonk Man. And you know that's it for him in the WWF. He you know, just gets jobbed out for the rest of his run here. When he comes back in 1990 or 91, they make him the dragon, have him breathing fire, which I guess they saw as a cool entrance, but I always just thought was cheesy, and he never got any real push from that. He ended up going back to WCW. You know, He doesn't have another WrestleMania match after this until WrestleMania 25. That is really incredible. That is a really long time. So Ricky Steamboat is actually the answer to the trivia question, who went the longest between WrestleMania matches. That's fantastic. And he went about 20 years. And he still never had a bad WrestleMania match? Nope, because he was amazing in that match, and I can't wait until we get to talk about that. Cannot wait. You know, he wasn't originally going to be in that match. You know who was? Who? His opponent tonight, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Oh, my God. That would have been Imagine how bad that match is with Greg Valentine in it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Vince was, according to Jericho's book, Vince was hung up on the idea that all three of his opponents had to be from the first WrestleMania. So it was Steamboat. Or Piper, Snuka, and Valentine. And so I think Jericho literally went on Wikipedia, looked up the first WrestleMania card, and saw Steamboat on there, and that was his salvation. It's just amazing that they... I mean, Okay, obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves because we'll talk about that eventually, but it's amazing that they convinced Steamboat to come out of retirement for that. Yeah, he hadn't wrestled since 94, since he'd hurt his back. I, I think most of us had just... just 
figured that he never could. And he comes out in amazing shape and tears the house down. Yeah, looks like he hasn't missed a day. Amazing. Yeah, one of really the all-time great performances in wrestling history. I can't really think of any. I mean, when Shawn Michaels has his comeback match against Triple H in 2002, yeah, he's amazing, but he was way younger and had only been out of the ring for four years at that point. Right. We're talking about quite a few more years. 20 years. years. Well, not, not quite. 15 years it had been. And he's so good. So everybody going into this looked at these tournament brackets and said, okay, we're getting Savage Steamboat 2 in the second round, but it's not happening. How do you not do that? Why do you even have Steamboat on the show if you're not going to do that? Because fuck Ricky Steamboat and his son. That's why. I guess maybe it's hard to make Savage look like a babyface if he's facing... The only guy on the card who's the most more babyface than him, but like it's a clean win, and they shake hands, and Savage got his win back, and that would have been perfect. And he's the only guy who he's the only guy who will do a job on this whole show. It and it doesn't have to be last year. It can just be a really good match. They can make the. I mean, they only had 14 minutes last year. They could have come up with 12 minutes for them here if they had moved some things around. It should have been a semifinals match. It re- if we're rebooking this tournament, that's gotta happen. Yeah, um, Steamboat does his Steamboat stuff. Gorilla calls Steamboat the excellence of execution. He was trying that one out for years before it stuck with Brad. Yeah, I mean it's 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 actually true about Steamboat, but it is funny to hear somebody else called that. <laughs> This is where, to me, the commentary really got hilarious. Gorilla points out, how can Valentine win a 15-minute time limit match when it usually takes him that long to get warmed up? Jesse shouts out Barry Blaustein, his agent in Hollywood, (laughs) who would end up directing Beyond the Mat years later. Um, He says Blaustein predicted Steamboat would win the tournament. Jesse's Uh, just shouting out random shit all show long. At one point, Jesse's like, you know, Gorilla, I don't think that Valentine should try to match holds with the dragon. He should definitely cheat. <laughs> and he does, because he wins with his feet on the ropes in nine minutes. I just... Look, I know that there are people out there who really love and treasure Greg Valentine. There's got to be somebody out there who just really gets rock hard for Greg Valentine matches. They always suck. And I'm like, not a big fan. He's I don't. Okay, it's just a different. It's a very different style. It's a very 1970s style of wrestling. Yes, and I, I guess that's it's why he's so well popular. suited to TV. Yeah, I guess that's why he's so popular among other wrestlers because he kind of perfected that style, but he perfected it a decade too late. <laughs> Yeah, he's just a guy who's meant to have house show matches where you can, you know, really slow the pace down, do long headlocks. That kind of wrestling doesn't work on TV. No, and it's just annoying. And I'm always unhappy to see him on these shows. Yes. So a year after this, Ricky Steamboat will be the NWA World Heavyweight Champion and wrestling Ric Flair in one of the great matches of all time at uh, the Clash of the Champions in New Orleans. So that's pretty good. Yeah, turned out okay for him. Um, 
Next up, Mean Gene interviews Coco Beware and the British Bulldogs, along with their mascot, Matilda. They just got her back after Bobby Heenan had kidnapped her. Um, that's sort of the basis of the feud, is Heenan has been complaining about animal mascots. I, uh... Yeah. What a waste of Heenan, you know? Like, I, I know... The Islanders. This isn't really... When does Heenan start doing commentary? Like, when does that... Is that after, next year? After Jesse leaves in 90. Oh, it, so it doesn't happen until then? Yeah. He, he, wrestles, uh, he wrestles the rooster next year. It just seems like... Bobby Heenan is such a genius. And there's so much that you can do with him. And he was such a gigantic integral part of like the story that they told the previous year that drew all that money. And it just feels like they never have anything for him to do after this. Yeah. Here he's real. I mean, it's re- this is just such a nothing match on this card. Yes. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the next tournament match, we've got Randy Savage against Butch Reed. Savage gets a gigantic pop. It's like the first time the crowd has popped for anything tonight. I guess I had kind of thought in my head that maybe they just kind of like mega push Savage out of nowhere. And that's not really true. He had been around for so long and such like a big part of the shows. I guess I just never really, you didn't really see his face turn so much. Like it, it happened in large part on the house shows. And then it happened a little bit on the TV shows. But yeah, the, I mean, the, the big one I remember is that Saturday night's main event against the honky tonk man uh, back in October 87 when Hogan saved him, and that was the formation of the Mega Powers. They were sprinkling the Hulk dust on him. Right, but it just worked so incredibly well. He's so over, and he's like, there's only like three people who they give a fuck about this entire time. Yeah, um, and Butch Reed is not one of them. <laughs> Savage goes over in four minutes with the flying elbow. I've got nothing to say about that. I've got one thing. Uh, it was really cool how Savage and Elizabeth came out and matching kind of entrance gear. Oh, yeah. Savage would have a robe that matched her dress for each match. You know, blue one, red one, pink one. It's such a perfect act. And, like, it's so great. Elizabeth kills it. And I don't think Elizabeth gets enough credit because she's always just kind of thought of as, like, the quintessential valet arm candy didn't do much. She's a large part of all of these matches and all of these storylines. Like the, the pop Savage gets for holding the ropes open for her is so big. Every time he does that, the crowd goes crazy. Like, they're very much a team. And I, I kind of feel like that's gotten lost over time. Like, she's kind of got lost into the overall package of Randy Savage. But, man, but she was just as important. He's not as big a star without her. Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. That's why he really falls off when the Macho King things happens. It's just, it's not the same anymore. As like, much as we love sensational Sherry. Absolutely. Like there's nothing, there's never been a wrestler valet package like these two ever. Not even close. Next tournament match, we've got Bam Bam against the one man gang. Bam Bam, Bam, Bam and Bam. his saxophones. Oh my God. Vince loved that entrance theme. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. More, more horns. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's so bad. For Everything Bam about Bam, Bam, Bam Bigelow in this era is so strange. Why did they think he was a babyface? Why? They thought that he was going to be like the next Hulk Hogan. Yeah, they had him teaming. He's like 24 years old here. They had him teaming with Hogan. 
he's got fucking Humperdinck as his manager too. Like, what is this presentation? Like, we're talking about like a six foot six, three hundred and eighty pound biker dude with a head tattoo. And what a great opponent for Hogan he would have been. Yes, this he's the ultimate WrestleMania. Like he is the ultimate Hogan opponent. Like after all of these like jobbers and shitheads who just happen to be big, here's a guy with actual athletic ability who's cool yeah. as hell. He's doing cartwheels and moonsaults. Like he's faster, stronger, bigger, everything than Hogan, and yeah. they make him a baby face. Yeah totally bombs he's gone from the company by the end of the year goes to japan doesn't come back for years after this just one of the more bizarre stories of this era i think it, it really they like this is van van bigelow and vader are always together in my mind yeah. because they're very similar two guys and, who strangely vince just couldn't figure out how to use See, that's the thing. WCW figured out immediately what they had in Vader, and they yeah. got a big star. They could have had that in Bam Bam. Yeah, Bam Bam ends up back in Japan and has a ton of success there and will eventually come back and headline WrestleMania 11 against Lawrence Taylor. And one of I can't wait to get to that one because that's going to be so fucking weird. That's... One of the st- that's probably the strangest WrestleMania. It's one of the WrestleManias that feels the smallest, being yes. in Hartford of all places. And With some, and anyway, we've talked longer than this match went on because Bam Bam is counted out after about two minutes, and One Man Gang advances. Did you feel like they were trying to give One Man Gang a weird mega push on this show? Yeah, he's Savage's first challenger. Um, He wrestles Savage on the house shows and then on Saturday night's main event um, in May. I like One Man Gang, but there's, I just don't see it like him being like the next big heel here. And it really seems like that's what they're going for. But he's gigantic. I mean, he is gigantic. That's definitely true. This is what, I mean, Bam Bam would be a better fit. But for some reason, Bam Bam's been cast as a baby face. And One Man Gang is maybe the best wrestling name anyone's ever had. <laughs> oh, God, I can't believe they made him Akeem. That's such a travesty. Yes. He's Akeem a year after this, isn't he? Just about, yeah. By WrestleMania 5, him and Bossman are teaming up. I just It's so strange how they dropped that great character. Just It's a disaster all the way around. Like They make so many weird booking decisions. <laughs> And they just keep getting bailed out by Hulk Hogan during this whole era. Speaking of the man, we have the highlight of the show. Oh my God. Gene interviews Hulk Hogan. I've got it transcribed. Okay. Uh, Do you, do you want to play mean Gene or Hogan? I'll do mean Gene. All right. Okay. So we're going to go there. Okay. All right. Over the last couple of months, it's been very difficult for me to introduce this man without using world wrestling federation champion, Hulk Hogan. Here at WrestleMania 4 this afternoon, you've got the opportunity to change that. Oh, yeah, it's been hard to live with, man. V5-fo-fum, Andre. One long year and your time has come, man. No marks, no scars, no blemishes on the Hulkster, brother. But inside, man, I've been scarred for one long year. Everywhere I go, man, all the little Hulksters ask me, is there any truth to the fact that there was a controversial count? Hulkster, did you really get him over your head? Did you really beat the giant? 
well, today, man, in WrestleMania 4, we're going to wipe all that controversy out. Andre the Giant in the second round. When you're fresh as a daisy and the whole world watching, I'm going to prove it, brother, that I can beat you anywhere, anytime. And all my Hulkamaniacs, they're going to feel it, too. Now, for the record, this is a very a totally normal promo at this point. Yeah, so far, no, nothing out of the ordinary. Now let's go to part two. Speaking of Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, we've seen them here in Atlantic City, and I know millions of others are watching very intently all around the world. Yes, but if you look in their eyes, man, have you seen the fear in all those little Hulksters? They realize when I get Andre the Giant cinched up in the launch position, when I slam him through the Trump Plaza, brother, from New York down to Tampa, Florida, the fault line is going to break off. And as Andre the Giant falls <laughs> into the ocean, my next two opponents fall into the ocean floor and I pin them. And so will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. But as Donald Trump hangs on to the bottom of Trump Plaza and his family under the other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea, thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. He'll know how to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kids, doggy paddle with his life all the way to safety. But Donald, if something happens, if you run out of gas, and all those little Hulkamaniacs just hang on to the largest back in the world, and I'll doggy paddle us, backstroke us all to safety. And then he backstrokes out of the frame. Now let the record show. All through this show, people are backstroking out of the frame. So I think this is like a running joke among the guys in the back. Like, hey, find a way to backstroke out of the frame. But this takes What in the hell was he talking about? This promo takes the most abrupt turn into insanity (laughs) of anything I've ever heard. It goes from he's going to beat Andre to he's going to slam him through the floor, down to Florida, into the depths of the fires of hell the eastern seaboard of the united states is going to break off (laughs) and everyone is going to drown but donald trump is going to save his family let go of his materialistic possessions and hang on to hulk hogan's back as he doggy paddles them all to safety now look i don't want to make this a political thing I i think you could probably guess where my particular stance is on donald trump but The fact that Hulk Hogan just literally takes a left turn into the camera and starts cutting a promo on Donald Trump here, I popped loud in my living room. I was like, oh, yes, slam him to the bottom of the sea. He didn't say who was going to slam Trump, though, just that Trump was going to be collateral damage after he slammed Andre into the fires of hell. He better let go of all of his materialistic possessions, like... that's random is i mean hulk eventually lost all his money so he let go of his materialistic possessions i just love that this is obviously before a time where they have monitors like in the arena like they're not showing these videos to people live sadly no i would have loved to see the look on donald's face like wait what about my wife and kids (laughs) what (laughs) what the fuck are you talking about where did oh. this promo come from? I, I don't know. I honestly like we've said he doesn't do any prep. They just roll the camera and whatever comes out comes out. It, it's so clear that during this period they don't even care. Did, like, does anybody watch this before it airs? 
And like Mean Gene, like I challenge you to watch Mean Gene's face next time you watch this. And the straight face he's performing that deserves an Academy Award. I'm trying to think of, I can't remember Mean Gene ever, other than like when the thing, the set fell down and he said, fuck it. Like, I can't think of Mean Gene ever cracking. Yeah. I mean, he was just a genius at that. And maybe it was something like that. Like Hogan was like, let me see if I can pop Mean Gene. Or <laughs> maybe the boys were just like, hey, we're all going to be backstroking out of the camera. You come up with a way to work that into your promo. Oh, didn't John Cena do this one time? I think he did. I think it was in a promo with like, now I understand. It was a promo with like Big E and CM Punk. And it was amazing. I just, I, I don't. Just the freedom that Hulk Hogan had here. To just be like, and you can see where the Ultimate Warriors promos kind of came from. I don't know if they specifically came, like, were inspired by this era of Hulk Hogan's promos. But there was clearly a rule that, like, it can't be too weird. Just go for it. But Warriors are not hilarious, though. Like, Warriors tend to just be weird. I never laugh out loud in an Ultimate Warrior promo. But you get the impression here that Hulk is having as much fun as we are. Like, yes. he's just like, fuck it. To the what bottom is, of the sea, and then it, I'll pin him. Yeah, what does it matter at this point? He's untouchable. He can't do any wrong. Oh. Like, And then he'll do no holds barred and will actually do wrong. Yeah. Next and final tournament first round match, we've got Rick Rude against Jake the Snake Roberts. I'm just going to cut to the chase. This sucked. Sucked. 15-minute draw. I love Rick Rude, but God, he had some awful matches. Like, this one, the one against Steamboat from that first Rumble, oh, that one, one against... from Halloween Havoc that Chono. we reviewed against Chono. Like, uh, there are just some matches where he seems to forget how to wrestle. I don't know if he's just a person who is very influenced by the world around him and just not giving a shit. But like it seems like in very high profile matches, Rick Rude just lays turds and doesn't he just care. Sits on a headlock for this entire fifteen minutes. This for this to be the match on this show that I think it's the most time, doesn't it? Oh yeah, no, I don't even like. I don't even know that anything else got ten minutes on this show. I think the main event was only like nine. This match was fucking garbage. This went forever. It is just headlocks for 15 minutes just so they can do the 15 minute draw because I, they, they do were way too much like bullshit on this show, but this would have been much better as a quick double count out or like even like have this be the double DQ because there's like a feud baked in here, but to just have them go and go and go, it sucks. Yeah. So I was I think Rude was wearing his Cheryl Roberts tights, but I feel like that hadn't aired on TV yet. Yeah, I was kind of confused about that their because feud they starts after this. They're feuding for most of the rest of this year. You know, they're feuding at SummerSlam, but they don't have a match. They have the they have a match on Saturday night's main event in the fall, but yeah, this is I think the beginning of it. I think it's after this they kind of air the footage of him coming on to Cheryl Roberts. Man, it's just one of the great feuds of the era that unfortunately never took place on pay-per-view. Yeah, that's just another one of those. But I guess maybe this is kind of your answer to the why wasn't Rick Rude a bigger star question. It's because sometimes 
he had made he had matches that just looked like a million dollars, but other times he just laid these absolute turds yeah, in high profile. Like, people want to shit on Hulk Hogan's work. Like Hogan never had a match this bad in this era. Hogan never mailed it in. He could have easily. I mean, his match on this show is pretty bad, but it's a lot more understandable. He's not working with Jake Roberts. He's working with Andre, and Andre's really looking rough at this point. Yeah, he is. But yeah, this is garbage. Like, you can just skip this whole 15 minutes and miss nothing. Next up, we go backstage. Mean Gene and Vanna White show us the tournament bracket. Yeah, pretty, good, pretty good score to get Vanna White. And, like, there's a lot. We haven't really talked about it, but the entire theme of this show leading up to this point is people wanting to fuck Vanna White. Yep. Like Jesse Ventura. <laughs> I guess Vanna White had done some interview in a magazine or something that said that she thought Jesse was cute or something mm-hmm. like that. And like that's actually leads into this and Jesse makes a comment like, yeah, she's here for me. Yeah. Bob Euchre's been looking for her all night and just can't find her. Jesse gave old some... man Bob Euchre is trying so hard to fuck Vanna White. That's the whole backstory of this show. So next up, we've got the Ultimate Warrior versus Hercules. The uh, feud here is something to do with Hercules's chain. Uh, a warrior is freshly debuted, coming in real hot. Um, you know, just giving him a big guy to work against here. It's not a particularly great match, but you know they get through it. Uh, lots of clotheslines. Uh, Hercules gets the full Nelson. Gorilla obsesses over whether or not he's locked his fingers, as he always does. Warrior then does the Bret Hart spot from WrestleMania 8. He runs up the turnbuckle, kicks off it. He doesn't do the full Bret like turnover deal, but falls back on and then pops his shoulder up to get the three count. I didn't think he had that in him, honestly. No, I was pretty impressed by that. Yeah, like he he seems more athletic here. And maybe it's just he's going to put on so much steroid weight, even by comparison to what he has here. But over time and just not be able to do it. But like he's looking pretty good. He's already pretty hot here. I don't know that I would have predicted that like two years after this, he's going to be the guy. But I think you're definitely seeing the sparks already here. Right. He doesn't quite, I mean, he doesn't have quite have the crazy, you know, bright gear yet. His gear is just kind of got a bl- baby blue and white deal going on. But you, I, you can see what they saw in him. Yeah, the Ultimate Warrior brand isn't intact yet, but it's the charisma and the energy is there. Uh, they show middleweight champion Sugar Ray Leonard in the crowd. Jesse says Marvelous Marvin Hagler got jobbed in their fight. And he's right about that. Oh, absolutely he is. And it's just chalk up another one to Jesse jobbing out somebody in the crowd. <laughs> Man, Jesse gives so few fucks. It's amazing. Yeah. He's, like, he's got his union card. He doesn't care anymore. Sugar Ray Leonard partners with WWE to promote yes. fights in this era that they're yeah, going I, for that. I think it's I think it's happened already because I think that's I remember that's I think that's on the first Survivor series they're showing the ads for that. And like literally, like he's a partner of the company, and yes. she's like, "You're a fucking cheater." <laughs> Marvin Hagler's the real middleweight champion. It's just amazing. Uh, we get a recap of the Andre Hogan issue, and it's time for 
the match, I suppose people came to see Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. Andre is out with both DiBiase and Virgil. Hogan gets a nice pop, but I felt like Savage's was bigger on this night. I agree. And maybe that's just because Savage is the fresh thing. Maybe that's because, like, I, I don't really know why Shine would have really come off of Hogan, but Savage definitely has all the momentum. Yeah, I mean, Hogan, he's been the champ for four years, so you can understand how people get a little bored, whereas Savage is freshly turned. Right. Like, he's the hot new thing. And so, as we'll see, with so many attempts of replacing Hogan in the next few years, they love the hot new thing, and they really, really want Hogan to go away, but they just can't get rid of it. They want him to come back even more. Yep. That's what Hogan was always smart about, was he always knew when to go away. And every time he came back, fuck. Yeah, he'd come back and it would be huge and it would peter out. You know, he only had so such a long run in him. And I feel like the run he had in him got shorter and shorter as the years went on. Which will eventually lead to, and I hope we find some way someday to talk about his 2002 run, which was like... Oh, we'll get there. We'll get to WrestleMania 18 eventually. Yeah, which is like a month of the hottest oh, pops in wrestling history. Never seen anything like it. That reaction he got in Montreal. But like he would get it for like weeks. Yeah. It was just like 20 like he couldn't cut, like The crowd would be cheering so loud he couldn't cut his promos. They wouldn't stop. I, I've never seen anything Daniel like Bryan that. in Seattle every single week. And then after a month, it's just over. Done. Yeah, gets the belt and nobody cares anymore. Yep. Nobody's upset when he loses it a month later. Uh, so here, Andre jumps Hogan before the bell. Hogan fights back. Uh, he goes to slam Andre, but get, hits, gets hit with a chair behind the referee's back. Hogan hits Andre with the chair. The referee does nothing. Andre gets the chair, hits Hogan with it, and now the referee disqualifies them both. What a bunch of bullshit. Like, there's there's no excusing how bullshit this is. There's no reason why they wouldn't just disqualify Hogan, because it seemed like the ref clearly saw him do it first. There's no reason why a double DQ is what you need to go with, especially in a goddamn tournament. It's just stupid. What's stupider is what comes next. Hogan chases DiBiase and Virgil off. He does the laziest suplex ever on Virgil where he gets him up for the suplex and just drops him, just yep. lets him go and drops him onto the floor. Loved then it. Then he comes back to the ring, slams Andre, and proceeds to pose for seriously five minutes. And, like, we already he told lost. you. He's out of the tournament. Hogan's got a pose, brother. Jesse buries his ass. I, I don't... This was so good because it's so clearly a cop out. Like, all right, Hogan can't lose. Yeah. It's got to seem like he won. We've got to get all of the Hogan we can get onto this show in this segment. Yeah. So we're going to give them the full Hogan pose down so they feel like they got the Hogan experience. And hopefully they forget that Hogan just got knocked out of the tournament. And there's like three hours left in this show. Like. I know that they had to bill Hogan versus Andre as part of the build to this show. I get that. But wouldn't this have made way more sense in like the semifinals or something to like build to it. And then it's close to the end 
because this uh, is like intermission right here. And it's like, I would have left. <laughs> I'm surprised more people didn't because I mean, as much as we said, Savage is moreover, a lot of people in the crowd came to see Hulk Hogan, but you can't give them what they want. He can't win the belt. I guess there just, there had to be a better way of doing this. This is a disaster. Everybody looks like shit. It's like, I can't overemphasize how dumb the posing is here. Like he, this, like I've had, I mean, I think everybody's complained about like John Cena just kind of blowing off, losing and not, you know, not caring when he gets fucked out of the title. Like this is even like, this is much worse. Like Hogan is doing the full, I just won the belt celebration when he's out of the tournament. Yep. I, I, I don't have the slightest idea of how to square it, but it's just they they wanted to give you know they were they they, they were sending the crowd home happy an hour into the show. Not to say you're already doing that. The this is what you do if you are going to have DiBiase win. You have the Hogan pose down. You have the babyface moment. If DiBiase had won, is there any question Hogan would have come out and beaten him up and posed afterwards? Oh, he would have done the full Bret Hart Yokozuna. Be like, <laughs> you want to tag me in, Savage? All right. And then he... <laughs> yeah. So our next match, it's the tournament quarterfinal. DiBiase goes over Morocco in four minutes with a hot shot. Anything to say about this match? Not the slightest bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they bring out one-man gang to announce that he's in the semifinals because he has a bye. These buys are so a, confusing. This was not a good use of time. Why does he have a bye? He advanced over... Oh, no. He was rude and um, rude and Jake. DiBiase is advancing to the finals because Hogan and Andre went, had their um, double DQ. You can't do two of these this is a lot of buys yeah and i get that what they're trying to do is have randy savage be the only guy who has to wrestle all yeah. of the matches i get it they're trying to build him up as an underdog babyface. okay but it's just so weird the way that they structure it and it just feels like they're just like deleting matches as the show goes on <laughs> There's just no time for all these matches. In the next quarterfinal, Savage beats Greg Valentine in six minutes, um, gets him in a small package as Valentine's going for the figure four. Anything to say about this one? I don't. It's okay. It's yeah. it's pretty yeah. good for a Greg Pop Valentine down. match. Yeah. Savage was on fire tonight. He was by far the MVP of this show. He just seems like he... Like, it's in a different world. Everybody else is in black and white, and he's in color. Really? It's like he had the only pot of coffee in the whole arena. Like He's the only one who seems energized and excited to be here. And that's probably at least partially because somebody told him he was winning the belt. You just compare the way guys wrestle here to where like, guys are wrestling at WrestleMania in the 90s and the 2000s and today where they're fucking killing themselves to put on a decent match. And these guys are just like, well, it's just another town. We got their money. Don't be a mark. Exactly. Like WrestleMania, WrestleMania hasn't yet become the thing that it became. Like the status symbol among wrestlers where stealing the show was important. Yeah. When I don't know when that started, actually. Maybe Shawn Michaels probably, like the Shawn Razor ladder match feels like the first time. I mean, that's the first time. Like, I feel like two guys went out there and killed themselves. 
I think it all goes back to Shawn Michaels, really, because that was his entire character and his mission for years. And so many people grew up idolizing Shawn and trying to be that, that that's just who we are as a wrestling society. So we go back to the tournament board again with Vanna White and Mean Gene. Vanna seems unaware that Hogan was eliminated. (laughs) She's like, I still like Hulk. It's like, good for you. Somebody should probably smarten her up to what happened in that match. Do you think they have like monitors back there? Do you think she's actually knows what's going on? I wonder, was this live or did they tape these? That is a fantastic question. She should know what's going on because they've got a giant tournament bracket behind her on the wall. Look, her job was to turn the letters, not read the words. You know what I'm saying? Uh, So then we take a break from the tournament matches. We've got Honky Tonk Man defending the Intercontinental title against Brutus Beefcake. And we get to one of the highlights of the show, which is Sherry Martell as Peggy Sue. Honky Tonk Man's poodle skirt wearing blonde girlfriend honky's got his classic entrance theme and all is right with the world the dancing here is so epic a couple things first of all sherry martell can look good in literally anything yeah damn that girl looks good Uh, second of all they should have just danced like the match doesn't (laughs) need to start nope uh just bring Beefcake and have him dance. Have a dance-off instead. Dance-off, yes. Let's get creative. Let's Beefcake go. Beefcake can backstroke up the ramp. <laughs> Isn't it weird that Beefcake didn't have music? It's extremely weird. I mean, I Everybody out, lots of like Most guys have music. Like, you know, Valentine still doesn't. Heels still don't for the most part. Like, Beefcake is a baby face, and especially a colorful one you would think would have music by now. Brutus Beefcake, look, he's over. I'm he's not going to really over here. I'm not going to pretend like he's not. It, it's a big deal. His turn was successful. He has his vague association with both Piper and Hogan. It, it's a thing, but he sucks. <laughs> he's not good here. And all of his stuff is just very odd. Like, I, I never got the sense of like what his wrestling style was supposed to be. Like his whole gimmick is just all over the place. Like I don't Yeah, he's not really a powerhouse. He's not really a brawler. He's not really a technician. He's just kind of a dude. That's his whole career. Yeah. Um not these are two really strong characters, but neither has a whole lot to offer in the ring. So it's kind of just honky stalling. Um uh, beefcake Manages to hook the sleeper, but Jimmy Hart knocks the referee out with the megaphone. Beefcake just thinks he's won, even though the bell doesn't ring. Dumbass. Beefcake goes after Jimmy Hart and cuts his hair. Peggy Sue pours a pitcher of water on Honky to revive him. And the referees just show up to get Beefcake out of there. And then he's announced as the winner by disqualification. Now, it was pretty funny watching him cut Jimmy Hart's hair. That that was the that was highlight good. of this. That was a good payoff. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Peggy Sue was pretty great all the way through the whole thing. I couldn't tell you anything that happened in the ring at any point. I, I just honestly don't remember. I mean, we're like eight matches into this show. None of these would be even a decent match on Raw today. Right. Like, 
I mean, we, we, we this week on Raw saw one of the great matches in WWE history with that ridiculous two-hour gauntlet match. Yes. And you just compare, that's what they're doing on free TV today. This is what they were doing on the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Like, Seth Rollins wrestled for a fucking hour on free TV this week. And, like, but it's also worth mentioning that, like, the concept of using a two-hour match in order to rebuild Seth Rollins' standing within the company and make him a top babyface is never something they even would have fucking considered in these days. Like, what do you mean, like, a great match would make them care about a guy? Like, that's not a thing. No, we need more promos. And so, like, I I guess I kind of get it from that perspective. Yeah. We go backstage where Euchre interviews Andre the Giant. Um, This is the famous, famous, famous clip replayed a million times where Andre chokes Euchre. Great clip. Great it's a moment. weird moment because Euchre just kind of pops right back up afterwards like nothing happened. It's just like, eh, it's a joke. It's not real. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Yay. Fun. It doesn't, right. doesn't need to be taken to the local medical facility. <laughs> local medical facility. This is where we got the reveal that DiBiase paid Andre to get Hogan out of the tournament, which shouldn't really be a surprise to any of us. No, I mean, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Bobby Heenan and the Islanders against the British Bulldogs and Coco Beware. Heenan is wearing like one of those padded suits that they use when you're training like a police attack dog, and it's fucking hilarious. I love Bobby Heenan. I would be very, very happy if we just started a side podcast where all we do was talk about how great Bobby Heenan is. <laughs> like, th- he's... He's working with nothing here. This fucking feud and match means nothing. And the Bulldogs are on their way out of the company anyway. They've worn out their welcome at this point. And that's like the magic of Heenan in this era where he can take this incredibly stupid ass match concept. Yeah. And just make it work. Like to the extent that it does, like it's still fun. Yeah. This is one of the only things all night that got a reaction from Trump was he laughed at some of the Heenan stuff. And I mean, I'm amazed that he was still awake in order to enjoy it. Ventura says that Heenan looks like a Chinaman. I don't really know why. Yeah. Hadn't hit his casual racism quota yet. Like, I I don't even know what, what he's referring to. Is he trying to say he looks like a sumo wrestler? I don't know. (laughs) Because, a lot wrong with that, Jesse. Um, Heenan tags in, gets beaten up. He takes a drop kick to the back, which is a lot like the one that ended Paige's career, I noticed. Yes, it is. But he's Bobby. And Heenan had a fucked up neck, too. Although I, maybe that, ah, that didn't, I don't think he had his neck problem until Warrior. Or at least that really exacerbated it was Warrior dropped him on his head. Right. Um, there's a big brawl. The Islanders slam Heenan on top of Coco, and Heenan gets the pin. Um, really, this was one of the better matches of the evening, and it's 95% because of Heenan. Oh, yeah, and that last spot was genuinely fun. Like I, I liked it a lot. And then the Bulldogs let Matilda loose, and she chases Heenan away. He trips going up the steps, and Matilda gets to bite him. 
And I mean, just think about all those people at the time at this time who are too insecure to do a job. And here's Bobby Heenan being the most entertaining thing about the entire show doing jobs to dogs and shit. Like he doesn't care. Fuckers. <laughs> learn learn a lesson. And then we get one of my favorite parts of the evening as Jesse Ventura is introduced and he gets up and poses for the crowd and they go ape shit. He is a gigantic is star. Well, I mean, at this point, Predator's come out. He's like legitimately one of the biggest stars in wrestling. But like, like if, if you asked like somebody who didn't watch wrestling to name wrestlers, like they'd probably say Hulk Hogan and then they might say Jesse Ventura next. And here's the thing. Like he I've seen a ton of wrestlers do pose downs in the rings before. Fans don't give a shit. Nobody cares about your physique. No one cares about any of that shit. Like, the more he poses, the more they pop. It's huge. It's great. Like I said, this was one of my favorite because it's so random, and I don't really know. It covers DiBiase's entrance. DiBiase walks out so they could announce that he has a bye to the finals, which, again, is dumb that they did that, but it just it's such a random insert to the show, but the crowd's reaction is so massive. It's It's fantastic. Like, I genuinely love... That like every year at WrestleMania, Jesse Ventura comes out just to remind us that he's way more over than all the people we're watching. Yes. But we don't get to watch him. Way cooler than everybody else. That's Jesse. Could they have rubbed the coolness off as a manager? Would he, I mean, he was a great commentator. They never really tried him as a manager, though. I really think he would have just eaten alive anybody that he managed. He probably would have overshadowed, yeah. Completely. And I don't know if he would have been able to, with a straight face, not bury them. Like, he's Jesse. <laughs> um, then we get our semifinal. It's one-man gang against Randy Savage. Um, Savage is in his... He's got a black robe. He's back to the pink trunks he wore in the first match. He only wore two pairs of trunks. I was disappointed he didn't have different trunks for each match, too. I was a little disappointed about that, but it's still cool. Yeah. Um, Savage grabs Gang by the beard and jumps over the top to clothesline him on the top rope, which was amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Gang gets in some offense. He misses a corner charge. Savage makes a comeback, but gets cut off. Um, And then we get a terrible finish as Gang gets the cane from Slick and hits Savage with it right in front of the referee. And he's disqualified. Savage can't go over clean. They save that for Saturday night's main event in a few months. There's so much random manager interference on this show. The cane, the number of cane spots in one show. I just, I I don't understand how they couldn't limit it to one per show. It's outrageous how many cane shots there are. And it's just, it's not like, If we had just had a couple of these things happen on any given show, it wouldn't be a big deal. But it happens every single match. Yeah, every match. I mean, there's, there's uh, every match on this show has been bullshit. Yes. Who beat who on the not and not even clean like barely anybody's pinned anybody. It just sucks. Like it's not fun. Then next up for the tag titles, we get Strike Force defending against Demolition. Now, the interesting thing to me here was 
I always thought of Strike Force as like one of the great 80s tag teams. I always assumed they were super popular. They were the tag champs. This crowd shits on Strike Force. <laughs> they hate <laughs> they them. Do not care about these two douchebags. It's actually really awesome how much they hate Strike Force. They are so much more into demolition here. They are so, this New Jersey crowd is so ready for demolition to kick these pretty boys' asses. Absolutely, yes. And like it, it's no surprise that demolition is going to be the thing very soon after this. Like they get going on that real quick. Yeah, I mean, this is it. They win the tag belts here. They've been around for a few months. They're just pushed to the moon here. Absolutely. And it's just man, like if if this match were to happen today, instead of just absolute silence when Strike Force comes out, it would have been huge booze. Oh god. They're <laughs> bad. This like, is a shit tag team. Tito Santana and Rick Martell are great. Yeah. But they this is Separate. not working. Yeah, and, but the, and this is basically it. Like because Martel gets hurt and misses a bunch of time, and then he turns on Santana at WrestleMania Five and becomes the model after that. So, right. yeah, I mean, Strike Force does not have a long run here. I mean, I think that Martel and Zenk together would have gotten over and stayed over. Absolutely, it's the fucking Tom Zenk story. Yeah, it's just something about having like forty-year-old Tito Santana in there instead. Just yeah, yeah. But yeah, demolition kicks the shit out of them. Uh, Martel gets the hot tag. He gets smashed in the Boston Crab. The referee gets distracted with Santana and Fuji fighting. That allows Axe to hit Martel with, you guessed it, Mister Fuji's cane. <laughs> and demolition get the pin to win the tag titles. Fucking the cane. Yep, more dangerous than Tito Santana's forearm. I guess. And we finally made it to the main event. Bob and Leach brings out the WWF championship. <clears throat> it's the Eagle belt, which oddly had debuted on Saturday nights or on the main event in February. This seems like it would have been the perfect time to bring out a new belt. But for some reason, they switched to the Eagle belt back in February. That's weird timing, but... I don't really think that they thought that much about the belts at the time. I'm not even really sure why they came out with a new one. No, I mean, this is the most iconic belt in wrestling history. I mean, I guess the, the big gold belt is probably number one, but this is number two. This is right. one of the most beloved belts. I think when anybody thinks of the WWF title, this is what they think of. For sure. Like, yeah, this belt lasts until 98 and it's i mean the designs that they replace it with after that none of them really stick or pop unfortunately yeah somehow they kept that goddamn spinner belt for eight years though love the spinner and then euchre comes down he's the ring announcer for the main event a drunk guy hops the railing and hugs him and euchre's so awesome he just rolls with it I'm amazed they couldn't have done more with Euchre after this because he's such a natural. I wonder if they just couldn't afford. I mean, yeah, he was a. I mean, he was a pretty big time baseball announcer. God, it's. I think he was good enough. He could have just been a regular announcer on their show. Oh yeah, he could have done what Mean Gene did. Like I'm amazed there aren't that many people in the world who can do that job. I'm not sure that they found one since Mean Gene. And like, man, he was so good. 
Uh, he introduces Vanna White, who is the timekeeper. He gets a kiss on the cheek. Yay. There you go, dirty old man. Literally a three-hour build to a kiss on the cheek. And we've finally got our championship match, the 16th match on this card, Ted DiBiase versus Randy Savage for the heavyweight championship of the world. Crowd was never really hot, but they're really worn out by now. They yeah, still but... pop for Savage, but it's not the same. No, I mean, I mean it's his fourth. It's his fourth entrance, and that's part of the problem with one night tournaments. Is that no matter how excited for you are for a person the first time you see him, you're never going to be as excited the fourth time, no matter what's going on. Like you just don't have that anticipation moment that you had when you came to the show just to see your favorite guy. You've seen him. You've seen it. You've seen everything that he does. Who cares? <laughs> Andre trips Savage twice in the first minute. That allows DiBiase to take over. Savage gets his jumping knee and knocks DiBiase to the floor. He's going to go for the double axe handle, but I love this spot. Andre just stands in front of DiBiase and is like, you really want to try it? That is really good. And that's a great use of Andre because he can't do that much, but that's awesome. He can stand there and look scary, though. Yes, he can. Um, Savage you know, has a word with Elizabeth and sends her back to the locker room. Jesse's shitting on Elizabeth is great here. Uh, he, well, what can you even say at this point? Like, you've tried to convince me for years that Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon is the combination of announcer and commentator of all time. And I think this is the show where I finally decided to agree with you that this is the best combination. It's just Jesse being so great. I just... Look, Keenan's hilarious, too. The, the edge to me is Jesse just... can't. Jesse was able to also call wrestling seriously, which... Heenan could too, but he never had the gravitas that Jesse did. Right. And yeah, you're completely right. Like there are parts during the show where Heenan or where, uh, Jesse and Gorilla are just like, man, you remember back when we wrestled? It wasn't like this. I'm like, that's cool. Like that, that gets a side out of Gorilla that Heenan never did. <laughs> yeah. Your prime back in 1932, Gorilla. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth goes to the back. Um, Jesse claims she's given up on Savage, the gold digger that she is. Um, DiBiase takes over. He hits a fist drop. And now Elizabeth returns with Hulk Hogan. Which will interestingly mirror things that are going to happen later on in history. Indeed. Andre grabs Savage again. But Hogan breaks it up this time. DiBiase goes to the top, but Savage throws him off. Savage goes for the flying elbow, but he misses. DiBiase hooks the million-dollar dream, and he's within seconds of winning the world title. Savage is going to sleep, and Andre gets up on the apron for no reason. For no reason! No reason. Distracts the referee. This allows Hogan to get in the ring and wallop DiBiase with a chair. Referee naturally does not hear this. Savage hits the flying elbow and gets the one, two, three. A good, fun match under the circumstances. I actually kind of love Hogan just like being out of fucks to give and using the chair. Like, 
you know, whatever at this point. DiBiase and Andre have pulled so much dirty stuff. Why is he going to be the good guy? I just one of my fav, like my most treasured delights from this time period is going back and realizing that Hulk Hogan yes. wrestled as a heel all the time, and it didn't matter. Just like with his promos, it didn't fucking matter what he did. He could do anything. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of before the era of the anti-hero, but I feel like it shows people kind of wanted that all along. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, people are delighted. Jesse Ventura, if not an anti-hero. Yeah. Like, um, this, like, this is a fun match. I genuinely liked it. I'm glad we got here. Because this is the match that always should have been in the main event of this show. I'd love to see these guys have a proper 20-minute match. I'm going to have to dig around and see if there's a house show match out there. And that's part of the problem, is that this was a feud that was so cool and so big, and we never really get to see it. Like, if you happen to be lucky enough to go see a house show during this era and at this time, that's awesome, because you probably saw this match, and it was probably fucking amazing. It doesn't really exist on tape. That sucks. Yeah. Whereas in this era, Savage versus DiBiase would have been the main event of Backlash. Oh, God, yes. And probably two or three pay per views after that. There are probably a lot of parallels you can draw between this and the Triple H versus The Rock match, where it's like one of these guys is going to be the guy. Who do we choose and how? Here we go. Yeah, as always, Jesse threatens to come out of retirement and take Hogan out. <laughs> God, if only we could have gotten that tag match, right? The Mega Jesse. Powers versus DiBiase and Ventura. Oh my God, Jesse or, or Savage gets Elizabeth up on his shoulder. Hogan is there applauding, kind of upstage in the moment, but not so much as he would later. Yeah. Just plan. They already know where they're going. They already know. I don't know if Vince is sold on it yet, but like Patterson and Pritchard have already mapped out the next year, and it's going to be Hogan and Savage at WrestleMania Five. And that's such magic. I can't wait until we do our next episode and talk about that show because it's it's, like it, it, it's really one of the only times I feel like they did a proper year long build to something. And like it paid Even off. In this era, we kind of talked about like most of these WrestleMania builds are just kind of six weeks. Even like literally, it's like even when you only had one TV to build to something, you'd still be like, "Yeah, fuck it, we can get it done in one day." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll hold off. But yeah, I mean, this one they've got it all mapped out, and they've got the key inflection points, and they've got just the right number of pay per views and TV specials between now and next WrestleMania to hit all the right marks. And yeah, I mean, they planned it out, and it ends up being one of the biggest shows ever. And it's not surprising it worked out that way. Absolutely not. It's un- it's phenomenal. Like, it's going to be so much fun to talk about. Yeah. But that closes the book on WrestleMania for a show that was, you know, of disappointment commercially, I would say pretty much a disaster creatively. Not a lot to write home about on this show. I mean, the main the main event was fine, but it, this is a hard show to watch. It really is. It, it's not a lot that's very enjoyable. The concept sucks. Everybody seems unhappy to be there, except Randy Savage. Like, it's just a bummer from start to finish. 
Yeah. And for comparison, the Clash of the Champions, we'll have to do this Clash of the Champions after we get done with these WrestleManias. Um, the Clash of the Champions special that aired this night was spectacular. Yeah. Like genuinely as great as the Buckhouse Stampede was not. Yeah. Good wrestling did exist in this era. It just happened outside of the WWF for the most part. It had a Southern draw. <laughs> yes, it did. And so that wraps up WrestleMania 4. We'll be back next week for WrestleMania 5, where the mega powers will explode. Kaboom!